0: Following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. So we are in the series in the Book of Philippians, and we're going to be in Philippians for a little while. Uh, we started last week in this book, and so this is a letter. It is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. We made a start last week just looking at the introduction. Uh, let me just remind you as well, we've got study sheets that go along with the series. So if you want to do some more discussion, uh, some reflection on your own or in your, in your life group or your home church, then uh, the study sheets are online on our messages page. You can grab those. But we are going to dive into uh, the body of this letter this morning. And uh, look at a slightly longer section than we did last week. So we're in Philippians 1. And I'm going to read from verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right. Let me start with a little story about my friend Jeremy. I checked this with Jeremy before I I go telling stories about him. Jeremy and I, our sons, play together in the same cricket team. And so Jeremy's son, Jonathan, is uh, having a great season and he's a great little player. Um, But I think fair to say that for the first half of the season, Jonathan wasn't loving it quite so much. He wasn't loving, I mean, he's great, but he wasn't loving it. just a little bit reluctant, a little bit less than keen on the cricket pitch. But a couple of weeks ago, Jonathan had a moment. And I wasn't there, to be fair, so I'm telling the story secondhand. But Anna was there and I talked to Jeremy about this. Uh, Our team was fielding. Batsman hit the ball, Jonathan just positioned himself perfectly under that ball and took a superb catch. And I think that was a turning point for Jonathan and his confidence in the game and maybe his enthusiasm and his keenness in the game just kind of helped him see like he is good at this and he can do this and this is actually a great game. And I think fair to say for Jeremy, was that a proud father moment? That was a very proud dad moment for Jeremy, just seeing his boy out there have this awesome moment on the cricket pitch. I know what that's like, because I'm watching uh, Lawson as well. And we're hoping for those proud dad moments, and we're cheering our kids on whatever happens. But that was a proud dad day for Jeremy. Now I say that because as you read this passage in Philippians 1, I think it's helpful to picture Paul a little bit like a proud father. That's kind of the ethos of this passage. Paul is like a proud dad, When it comes to the Philippian church, he has founded this church. So along with Timothy, maybe others, uh, Paul planted the church and then he's watched the church grow over the years, probably been about 12 years now since Paul first planted that church and he's fondly looked on, watched the church come through highs and lows and Paul is just so pleased with how the church has been doing. He's just so proud of this community. They are growing in their faith. They're progressing in the gospel. They are growing up in Christ and they're moving forward and they've gone through some hard times, but they're doing so, so well. And as Paul writes this, he's just beaming. Like he's just so overjoyed, like a dad just can't even control himself. He just loves these kids so much. And he's just so proud of them. That's why this passage is just so full of affection. It's just so warm. He talks about his affection for the Philippian church. That's the kind of vibe that this passage has. Are you picking that up? And so here's the thing that Paul is most proud of. He says uh, in verse 4, "In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now." Now that word partnership, it's the Greek word koinonia some of you might have heard of that. Often it's translated as fellowship in the New Testament. It's a word that often describes Christian community, that we have this fellowship, this koinonia with each other. Well, at its, at its essence, the word means participation. It's an idea of participating with one another or participating in something. And in this sense, what Paul is saying, he's commending them for their participation in the gospel. Uh, More accurately, their participation in the work of the gospel, in the furtherance of the gospel, in the ministry and the mission of the gospel. They have participated with Paul in spreading the good news of Jesus around the Mediterranean world. And the way they've done that primarily is through financially supporting Paul's ministry. The Philippian church, sometimes they're called the Macedonian church, it's the region, uh, they have been one of the major contributors to Paul's ministry. They've backed him. Uh, And at the end of Philippians, he talks about this gift that they've given him. In, in, other, in another letter, Paul talks about the gift, the generosity of the Macedonian church. These were people who gave abundantly, who gave sacrificially, who gave willingly. And so Paul's just grateful for that gift. And again, he sees this as a sign of their faith. Like this is a sign they are mature. They're growing as a church that they're so willing to partner in the work that he's doing. So he commends them for that then listen to what he goes on and says here. And this is the verse I want to camp out on a little bit this morning, verse six. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you want to say amen, you're allowed to do that. That's right. Okay, you're allowed, you can't sing, but you can say amen. So here's what Paul's saying. He's he's not just looking back, right? He's looking forwards. So again, like think proud dad. He's looking, he's looking back on the life of, of this child, if you like, like a proud dad saying, hey, my son, my daughter, I'm so proud of who you are, so proud of how far you've come, but I want you to know the best is yet to come. I want you to know that God has got so much still ahead of you. God has got such good work to still do in your life, and I'm looking forward to seeing the way that God grows you and and calls you and, and stretches you and challenges you through your life. That's what Paul's saying. So he's saying God's not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. And that is a word that every one of us need to hear. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what I want you to hear this morning. God is not done with you yet. He began a good work in you. right? The day that you committed your life to Christ, God began this good work. In fact, it was going on long before then. But when you became a Christian, that's like some of you maybe thought that was the finish line. That was the starting line. That was the beginning of this great race that you've been called into. That's how Paul describes it in other places, this great race. That's like the starting gun went off, and now you're running. Now you're into it. And God started this good work in your life, and he's been doing that work ever since. He's totally committed to that work. What is that work? Well, let me describe it to you this way. I brought along this morning this carving. Brian McStay did this. You know Brian in our church? So Brian gave this to me. He really gave it to us as a church, but I've stolen it. And this is a beautiful carving of the Eucharist of communion with the hands receiving the wine and the bread and the Word of God underneath upholding. It's all carved out of one piece of wood. So what Brian's done is he's chipped away on this block of wood over hours, days, months, refining it, Getting the detail there. If you look down on it, you can see in the bookmark all of this detail that he's got. Getting the shape of the hands just right. Chipping away. Carving, carving, carving. Until he comes up with this beautiful result that we see and we enjoy and we appreciate now. This is what God's doing in your life. You believe that? So God is the master craftsman in your life. And he's been chipping away. Chipping away. Chipping away on your life. He's doing that whether you are waking or sleeping. He's doing that whether you are working, socializing, whether you are sitting in church, or whether you're sinning your heart out. God is doing this work. He is working. He is refining you. What he's doing is cultivating in you the character of Jesus. He's cultivating Christ-likeness in you. He's cultivating a deeper faith. He's drawing you to himself, drawing you closer, closer closer to Himself. He wants you to have a deeper walk with Him. He wants you to go deeper into His love, into His grace, into His joy, into the hope that comes from the gospel, right? God is always working. He's not done with you yet. None of you are this completed carving yet, all right? You might think you are, and that's just a sign that you're not. You are a work in progress, and God is chipping away on you every day. You may have been a Christian for a very short amount of time, and I want to encourage you, God is not done with you yet. You might have thought, well, you know, I've, I'm in now, right? I got, I got across the line. I'm good. And you are good. Yes, you're saved by the grace of God. Praise God. But that is the day God began a good work in you. And he's carrying it on. He's carrying on his transformative work through the Spirit every day. You may be here this morning or watching and you've been a Christian for years and maybe you feel, if you, if you think about it, if you're honest with yourself, that your growth in Christ has kind of plateaued. That maybe you had, had a passion, you had a fire, you had this love, you've, you've sensed that transformation going on. But as you look at it over the past however many years, it's just, just pretty stagnant. You feel like you're just treading water in your faith. I want you to know God's not done with you yet. He is working. You may not always see it. But God is calling you. And he's drawing you and he's begun a good work in you. And he is absolutely committed to carrying that work on. And those of you that have been Christians for decades, like decades and decades. Some of you watching this, you've been Christians way longer than me. You've been around the block many, many more times than me. And, And maybe it's easy for you. Maybe some of you that are well into the retirement years and you kind of feel like, well, you know, my faith is what it is now. God is who He is. I am who I am. This is just the deal, you know? I want you to hear this this morning, right? God's not done with you yet. You believe that? Like, God, there, He is still calling you. He is still drawing you. He's still saying, there is more. There's more of my presence. There's more of my, my, the faith I want to impart to you. There's more for you to see and do. And there's more transformation I want to bring about in your life. This is what the Lord would say to you this morning. So wherever you are in the faith journey... There is a next step, and God is still doing good work. I want to talk a little bit about what that good work looks like. And uh, Paul talks about what does that work look like for the Philippian church? We know this because he turns it into a prayer. He says, well, this is what I'm praying for you. This is what I'm praying is going to happen for you. And so let's take that prayer and have a look at it, because this this speaks straight into our lives. What Paul prays for the Philippians, he is praying equally for us, even without knowing it. This is God's word to us today. So verse 9, have a look at that. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So knowledge and love is what Paul's praying for here. It's two things absolutely essential to the Christian life. He prays, first of all, that your love may abound. So we're called to be people who love, who lo- who grow in their love for God. Are you growing in love for God? Or is love just like this thing where, yeah, I love Jesus. You know, I know I lo- Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. Yeah, that's kind of just a thing. Are you gro- is your love abounding? Think about that. Is your love abounding? And then secondly, Paul says, that your love may abound in knowledge. We're to grow in knowledge. And it's not just general knowledge. We're not just talking about being really good at trivial pursuits. This is the knowledge of God specifically, right? How do we gain the knowledge of God? Through his word. This is how we come to know God. I mean, we can know God in a range of ways. We can know God through creation, right? Heavens declare the glory of God. We can see the glory of God in creation, but we see specifically who God is in Scripture, Right? You're not going to know who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit by looking at a sunset. You're not going to know God's plan of salvation by looking at a mountain. You will see the glory of God, but you won't understand specifically who He is and what He's doing until we come to the Word of God and we get the specific revelation from Scripture. This is how we grow in our knowledge of God. So we're called to grow in love, and we're called to grow in knowledge. Now, here's the thing. I would say that most Christians tend to go in one or other of those directions. And they tend to either grow more in love with God or more in knowledge of God. And one of those two tends to get neglected. So you probably know uh, Christians who have a lot of knowledge and very little love. Right? You know some people like that? <laughs> we can all think of some names. Don't call that names. right? Someone might be thinking of you. It is true, right? I mean, you know, there's people who, that a lot, there's a lot of Bible knowledge. You just get the feeling like they're walking around with all this Bible knowledge, the Bible verses. You know, everything's a Bible verse. They've memorized so much. And their head is full of knowledge. But really, you don't get the sense that there's a lot of love there. Like the, the love for the Lord. I mean, we never want to judge the heart of another person, but just the, the heart of love for God. It's like, is, is, that, is that really matching The knowledge that's in your head. To be honest, this happens really easily. I've experienced this. Uh, My experience of this was when I was going through seminary. And it kind of caught me off guard a little bit because I assumed, I mean, I did two years of studying Scripture and focusing on knowledge, knowledge of God's Word, knowledge of theology. I was drinking deeply at that well. And as I went through those two years, I had times that were the driest spiritual times of my life. So that was a surprise to me because I assumed, well, if I'm studying the Bible, surely I'm going to be walking with the Lord, right? As long as I'm filling my head with theology, doesn't that mean my relationship with God is going to be great automatically? Turns out, no. Those two things do not necessarily automatically go together. And I realized this this wasn't just my experience. This can be reasonably common with students going through Bible college. They can enter into a spiritual desert because they're stuffing their heads with knowledge. And if we're not at the same time growing in our love for Jesus, that's just, that's just rattling around in our heads. And in, in its worst form, that's generating pride in us. That's what the Bible says. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And so I found some really dry seasons in my life, and it taught me that knowledge without love is empty. It's really hollow. Now, the opposite problem is true, though, right? Think about that that we can have a whole lot of love for God and very little knowledge of who God is. Do you know people like this? Are you one of those people? Well, you've got a whole lot of love. I mean, you just love Jesus, right? You just fall, you've got a big heart. You love Jesus. But really, your faith is about that deep. There's not a lot of substance there. There's not really, you know, when it comes to the Bible, eh, take it or leave it. When it comes to theology, meh. You know, when it comes to actually learning stuff, no, nah, no thanks. I just, I just love God. That's all, right? <laughs> C.S. Lewis talks about this, this kind of experience. In one of his books, he describes a day where he was giving a theology lecture. And at the end of the lecture, a guy came up to him and said, look, all this, all this theology, I just don't need it. It's just, it, it feels trivial and it feels pity. He said, I have an experience of God. I've met God. I know God. And when you know God, you don't need all this theology stuff here. So C.S. Lewis is reflecting on this later on. And he said, in some ways, what that man was describing was a bit like the experience of standing on the shore of the Atlantic Ocean and looking at the view. And it's a beautiful view. Right, think about that. You take in the beauty of the ocean. He said, that's what this guy was doing. He was taking in the beauty of God. He had an experience of God and of God's presence. And he was sort of just drinking up the vista of God's grace. And he said, that's, that's wonderful. That's a good thing. But he said, what you've got to remember is this. If you want to cross that ocean, you're going to need a map. Just standing on the beach and looking at the ocean is nice. But it's not going to help you get to America. If you want to cross that ocean, you're going to need a map. And that map is God's word. Because as long as you're content just just taking in the presence of God, just experiencing the presence of God, you're kind of like you're standing on the beach. And that's a good thing. But we're not just called to stand on the beach. We're not just called to stand there and look at God and just experience God. We are called to get out there and cross the ocean. We're called to cross the ocean of faith, this great adventure that God has called us into, to to get out into the deep water. So, what God wants for us is to get out into the deep things of God and to experience the currents of his Holy Spirit and go on this this faith journey with him out into the vastness of his presence. If you're gonna do that, just taking in the view is not gonna get you there. If you don't have a map, you're gonna be lost. This is your map, this is your guide. This is the way in which we understand who God is, this God whom we claim to love and know and serve. This is how we get to know that God. This is how we come to understand the voyage across the ocean of faith that God's called us to, how God's working in the world, how God's working in our lives, and how he calls us to participate, koinonia, in that work. For all of these things, we need to be grounded in the word of God. That's why love needs knowledge. So these two realities of the Christian life, they need to come together. Can you see that? Love and knowledge. If you've only got one, you're always gonna have a very lopsided kind of Christian experience. Love without knowledge, knowledge without love. That that is not what God wants for us. In fact, in their best form, these two things start to feed each other. That's what you wanna get going in your life. The more that you really love God, and I don't mean just love with your emotions, but learn to love God with all of your being. Love the Lord your God with all of your, what? Heart and soul and mind and strength. We love the Lord with all of who we are. And that kind of love will then start to lead us to want to know God more, won't it? I mean, isn't that like, isn't that like a human relationship? Like if you, if you have a sense of love for someone, what do you want to do? You want to spend time, you want to know them. You want to know more about who they are so you can love them more. And that is what a genuine love for God will do. It will lead us to knowledge. So if you have the kind of love where you like nice feelings about God, but you have no desire to be in the Word of God, you have to question whether that is genuine biblical love or whether that's just an emotional experience. And then as we grow in our knowledge of God, If we're engaging in God's word, not just as an intellectual thing, but with our hearts and we're reading scripture prayerfully and we're really receiving it as God's word to us and we're meeting the Holy Spirit in the text, that is going to fuel our love for God. Love will lead to knowledge and knowledge will lead to love if we practice these things well. I think the, one of the best examples of this for me in Scripture is at the end of Romans 11, where Paul's just written these 11 chapters of dense, dense, dense theology. Some of the deepest theology in the Bible. He's done 11 chapters of it. Of course, he didn't know chapters those days, but you know, he just written a whole lot of stuff. He gets to the end of chapter 11, and he just bursts into song. He's burst bursts into worship. You know, he said, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the glory of God. How unsearchable are your ways. And Paul just can't help himself. He just, his heart is just poured out in worship to God. That is where real knowledge will take you. If it's just an intellectual head trip, it'll be dull and boring and lifeless. If it's knowledge grounded in the living word of God and the presence of God, it leads to worship, right? Good theology always leads to doxology. That is worship, That's where our theology should lead us. Theology is not this dry, boring thing. It's rich and it's life-giving when it connects us to the presence of God. So just have a think about those two dimensions of the Christian life. And maybe there is one or other of those for you where you feel, I'm a little weaker on the love side. I need to grow in my love for the Lord. Or I'm a little weaker in the knowledge side. I want to grow in my understanding of God's word. Just talk to God about that. Ask him to grow that dimension of your life and begin that, that spiraling upward process. Now, as this starts to happen, <clears throat> here's where all of this goes. We'll finish with this. Paul says in verse 10, so that, here's the result, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So the image Paul's going for here is the image of a tree. You could think of knowledge and love being like the roots of that tree. So as you, as you push n- your knowledge down deep into the soil of God's word, as you learn to grow in your love for Jesus, th- those are, that's a healthy root system for this tree. And then as you grow and God sustains and nourishes you, the spiritual fruit begins to be produced in your life. The fruit of righteousness, which is the, the character of Christ, which is being conformed to the image of Jesus in our lives. And Our lives start to look a little bit less and less like our selfish, sinful versions of ourselves and more and more like the life of Jesus being lived out through us. That's fruit. That's spiritual fruit, right? Now, here's the, here's the paradox of the Christian life. Producing that fruit is always going to take your effort, it's unavoidable. I don't think Paul backs away from that. He says in Ephesians, make every effort. He is not afraid to call us as believers to put effort into our Christian lives. Right? I know personally, if I'm going to cultivate patience in my life with my kids, it's going to take effort. Right? Have you met my kids? It's going to take some serious effort. It's not just going to happen. I'm not just suddenly going to develop patience. I've got to think about my reactions and my responses and my tone and how that's all working, right? We don't just become holy. No, no one ever stumbled into holiness, right? No one ever tripped and fell into godliness. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take purpose. At the same time, you have to realize this is all God's work in your life. This is all God's good work. Come back to verse 6. He who began a good work in you. He who, not you who, he who, right? God who began a good work in your life. He will carry it on. So we're called to participate in that work. And that takes some intentionality on our part and developing some good habits. But we acknowledge ultimately, this is the spirit of God. It's his work in my life. I I can't take a single step in progress in my faith unless the spirit of God is working within me. It's not gonna come about through my trying really hard. It's not going to come about through my willpower. It's going to come about as I grow in knowledge and grow in love and the Holy Spirit works through my life. But it's also not going to happen without me. I need to participate in that work. So the result is that we start to bear spiritual fruit in our lives. I visited a guy in the church the other day, and as I came out of his house, walking along his drive, he sees beautiful fruit trees. I think he had lemon tree, mandarin tree, orange tree, all completely green at this time of year, right? So you can see the fruit. You see those little green, those dark green pieces of fruit. And, you know, you think about eating them, your stomach turns. It's like, oh, that's going to be sour. I think probably that's how most of us feel about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, isn't it? We feel like the green trees. You know, honestly, if you think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, how are we doing? We feel like green, unripe trees a lot of the time, right? That fruit is not ripe. But the work of God in our lives, the work of the Spirit, is that as we develop in knowledge, as we grow, as our love abounds more and more, over time, that green fruit starts to ripen. Over time, it's what's going to happen to that guy's fruit trees. Those greens are going to turn to beautiful yellows, beautiful orange, oranges, mandarins. And those fruit will be ripe. That tree will be laden and they will be ready to eat. That is the life of the Spirit. That is the work of God. That is the good work that He wants to cultivate in your life, that as the seasons change, and as we lean into that work, we grow in love and knowledge, God begins to produce good fruit, the fruit of righteousness. Let me speak to you the the fruit that Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit and see if one of them lands on your heart because I trust the Holy Spirit may be wanting to speak to you this morning and say there's one particular fruit I want to develop in your life in this season. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. (laughs) Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. You sense the Spirit of God moving and just stirring our hearts and just settling on our minds and our souls. What is that one fruit that God is saying to you in this next season? This is what I want to do in your life. I think I've found that when we try and produce all the fruit at the same time, we get overwhelmed and nothing happens. It's like one fruit tree trying to produce every type of fruit. Now, God does want to do all of that work in your life, but sometimes it's helpful to focus. And maybe just ask God in the quietness of your heart, in the quietness of this time, God in this next season, in 2022, what's that fruit? Is he wanting to start cultivating patience in your life? Is it joy? Man, some of us just need some joy, right? Is it, is it a spirit of gentleness? Is it self-control? Maybe in particular areas, particular struggles, You know your story. You know your life. You know what God's doing. And just be open of heart and open of spirit to hear what he might want to say to you and then receive that and say, well, God, I can't produce this on my own any more than a fruit tree can produce fruit just by yelling at it. But I trust you. And I'm asking that we would go on this journey together and you would produce good fruit in my life. One day, my friends, this is going to be you. One day you will be that completed carving. And I want you to hear that today because we talk a lot about the process, but I also want you to know that one day God will complete it. And you know when that's going to be? Either when you draw your last breath or when Jesus returns. One of two things. That's when the carving will be complete. That's when the master craftsman's going to step back and go, I'm good. And he will bring it to completion, not you. But on that day, I mean, imagine it. On that day, we stand before the Lord and then all of the selfishness that gets in the way of us producing that fruit in our lives, all of that sinful nature that just holds us back. You feel that? All of the flesh that just drags us away from being the people that God wants us to be, that mongrel inside of us, well, that's going to die. That's just going to melt away. And we will just be left as these masterpieces of God's grace and mercy, perfected in the image of, Christ. That's that day. But until then, God is still working. And every single day, every single second, He is chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Sometimes we see it and we're aware of it. But He is doing this even when we are utterly unaware of it. And He is saying to you this morning, I want you to lean into this. I want you to become far more tuned in to this process of what I'm doing, this good work that God is doing. He wants you to be tuned in. He wants you to be attentive to that. More than that, he wants you to participate in it through stepping into what he's calling you to do, stepping into love, abounding love, pursuing greater knowledge, and participating with God in producing the good fruit, the fruit of righteousness in your life. It's he who's begun a good work in you, And he will be faithful. He's absolutely committed to that. He will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? Yes, let's pray. God, we just open our lives this morning and I I do have a sense, Holy Spirit, of you just pressing on our hearts that, that next step that sits before every one of us, Lord. We trust that you are doing this good work in us and you're doing it in spite of ourselves so much of the time. We just tend to get in the way more than we cooperate with it but God there's that next step that sits there for us and I just ask Lord for those of us in the room for those watching this at home you just press on our hearts quietly now what is that next step that you're calling us to, to take a step of obedience a step of faith a step of forming a new new habit a step of growth in our lives And we just want to start, Lord, by having this conversation with you about these things, not pushing that voice out and getting on with our life, but opening our heart and saying, Jesus, we want more of your life. We want more of the abundant life that you came to bring us. The evil one just so quickly wants to steal it all away. But Jesus, we want to say today that we desire more of you, more of your life, more of your presence, more of that good work. Thank you that you are so much more committed to this than we are. We're so weak. We're so frail. We bail out so quickly, but thank you that in spite of our unfaithfulness, you are so faithful. Thank you, God, for your goodness. We love you. We want to take that step in our faith, in your strength. It's in your name we pray. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry,